Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Attacking the Championship. My name is Tom Busfield. I'm your host. And let me welcome our resident guest, our certified data analyst, our scout, our FA licensed coach and intermediary, David Bromley. How are you, mate? I'm all right, Tom. I'm very well. Thanks very much. Good stuff. You're getting, you're getting your tongue around that introduction pretty well. <laughs> Didn't take 42 takes this time, <laughs> did it? <laughs> no. No, very well done. Good stuff. But you've had a good week. Enjoyed the international break? Oh, I've been delighted with it. Not. <laughs> it I don't know anybody, bit, uh, really, who's enjoyed tired, this one. It? Yeah, especially now, because you're getting to that point where a lot of the games haven't got much on them, have they? Exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. And it, I mean, it's not, you know, Malta and North Macedonia. Mm-hmm. It's not the most, with great respect to in. them. Not really. No, no, exactly. No, not really. Well, today obviously is is episode thirteen, uh, but I thought it was episode fourteen, so I'd prepared something for for that. So I've got nothing uh, for thirteen. So unlucky for some, we're just going to get straight into the content today. Okay, <laughs> so that's, that that's lets me, me off for, the hook. Then, yeah, exactly. I think it lets everyone off the hook on that one. So <laughs> we've been running through your three step process uh, for recruitment. Uh, today is step three. The reason we're running through these steps is because as we move towards and we're getting close to the January transfer window now, we're starting to get the rumour mill start to speed up. We're starting to get more stories about players being um, available, maybe targets for certain teams. So we're going to want to look into this in a bit more detail, aren't we, and see if these are, in fact, appropriate players for clubs or if they're just you know, good players but aren't necessarily going to fit into the system. So... We've gone through those first two stages, haven't we, in in episodes 11 and 12. And um, today in uh, episode 13, we're going to cover the acquisition phase, aren't we? We are, yeah. So do you want to go through that, David? Add anything else in that you want to add in before we get started, if you like? Yeah, sure. I mean, as you say, I think it's it's going to be useful reference to as when we get started looking at the players and looking at clubs, because we want to be saying... Um, more than just well, who's available and who's doing well and everything. We want to try and tie it in, as you say, to what does this club appear to need mm-hmm. and then what's out there that might be most likely to meet that need, as Absolutely. you would if you were in a recruitment department. So we're going to try to take each of the championship clubs and try to evaluate where maybe they're coming up a bit short and the type of role that they might be in most need of, and then try to match, not only try to match the roles with the needs, but also within the context of what's appropriate and and doable for the club. Yeah. So we'll be taking their resources into account. As far as we can, we'll take into account perhaps some of the things that we know about the clubs, but we're not going to know all the answers to all their requirements. But we're, yeah, it, that that's that's, we're going to use this process that we started two episodes ago um, in the, in in trying to address that that solution. So it's good yeah. to have put this groundwork to get together, yeah, isn't I th- it? I think so. I um, think so. It just gives people more of an idea of uh, all the work that goes behind it, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and the, the thought process that we're going through. Yeah. So, um, and fantastic. so, yeah, I mean, so you asked me about, I, th- I suppose, to just very quickly recap on on the mm-hmm. process, yeah. step one was the talent identification step, wasn't it? So mm-hmm. we're in that step. We're 
looking at the global universe of players, of which there are, for any given position, something like 20,000 players. So we're talk we're looking initially at a, a massive, um, you know, massive opportunity, but a massive challenge. In step, um, in step one, we are trying to take that massive universe and shrink it down to a manageable but still comprehensive size of a sample of two hundred and fifty players, hmm. and then step two, the prospect evaluation stage picks up that sample of 250 that's been done in a way that matches the requirements of the club and ranks those players in accordance with specific requirements and so the idea is we'll get a list of the the, the 250 players will be ranked overall according to how closely they match the specific requirements of the head coach and maybe the yeah. sporting director, depending on the structure of the club. And so then that allows the technical scouts to work from the most likely down um, and look at the, the video and report in a very consistent way. You can, as, as you say, Tom, you can go back and check from last week what stage two exactly involves, but then produce for the conventional scouting, the eye test, a very, very small number, probably three to five players who they can then go and watch for each position and say, okay, a lot of the heavy lifting's been done. These players ought to be at least somewhat realistic um, propositions for for our requirements in this position. We'll go and watch them. And then again, they report them back, back based on a very specific criteria. And that leads us then ultimately to stage this final stage where the scout might be just, I mean, in some cases he may have rejected everybody, but in, 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 he may just be looking at one or maybe two players at this stage and saying, right, we've done a lot of work on this position over a fairly long period of time, but here are our recommendations for players that you might look to at, to acquire. And then obviously at some point when it's relevant, when it when it's the time is right, the club are going to seek to try to acquire those players. But in the meantime, they want to do some work. And this is where this step comes in towards the target acquisition. And this is going to be basically looking at probably, again, two overall factors. One is going to be the financial implications, obviously, and the other one will be what you might call the off-field due diligence. How well do we think this player is likely to fit into our environment, to our culture, and try to reduce the, the chance that the player may, albeit he may be very talented, but he may come along and just not find his feet and not be able to reproduce his previous form. So this stage is where we really kind of get our feet wet and start to try to be really objective about, you know, what would it take to get this player? Um, so, and, I, and in my experience, Tom, this is the stage, if there's any stage of, at all, this is the stage where clubs have tended to skimp, really, in the past, which leads to, and we've all seen plenty of this, it leads to these sort of mismatches, doesn't it, where players players done fantastically well somewhere, and they bring bring him in with all guns blazing, and and he never really manages to reproduce the form. Well, you know, often it it's to do with you know not having really 
done sufficient due diligence. Um, and and the things that often don't work are the less tangible things. You know, he's still he's still strong in the air. He's still got a good engine. He still can deliver a good pass and so on. But why is it he's just not doing it here? Yeah. You know, could it be something to do with something off the field? Even though a lot of work's been done to try and evaluate his appropriateness on the field. So they're the two areas, financial and, and the due diligence. And I think we tend to look at the financial first. Um, and again, you could split this down into two elements and say, well, there's there's two areas of finance that we concern ourselves with. One is the wages or the, the contract of the player itself, wages and bonuses and so on. Mm-hmm. And the other is the asset value. You know, what's it going to take to bring the player in? Um, what's his his price going to be in the market? And, you know, I've been in my life in football, I've been involved in numerous transactions over the years, sometimes working for players, sometimes working for clubs, where I've felt there's just a lack of objectivity. So, you know, I could you could you could look you could look at a couple of analogies. You could say, look, if you we're talking about bringing in players very often, very expensive transactions. Mm-hmm. And if not expensive at the front end, expensive at the back end where somebody signs a contract for a long time and you've not only got to pay that player a lot of money, but that's an opportunity cost because if you bring the wrong one in, it's an opportunity you've lost to bring the right one in. So w- yeah. whichever way you look at it, it's an enormously important transaction for a club and yet if you think about other kinds of enormous transactions that you make like if you were to buy a house you were to buy a piece of real estate there'd be a way of objectively valuing that piece of property you know you wouldn't be very comfortable saying look i'm going to buy a house and i don't really know i don't have a method or nobody that i'm employing has a method really of valuing it but I'm being told I should pay this for it. You know, I don't think anybody would be very comfortable with that. No, no, absolutely. So what happens is, you know, you have valuers and surveyors and they'll go along and they'll carry out some, and and if you've listened to this pod a few times, you won't be surprised what's coming next. They'll carry out some procedure Mm. and they'll say, okay, we're looking at this property. For example, what's the plot worth without the property? And that will bring in, you know, the area that in the location and the size of the plot and so on. And they'll put a value on the plot. And then they'll look at the property and they'll say, how big is it? What's the square meterage? And to what level of quality has this been built and finished? And depending on the answer to those, they'll do some calculations and they'll come up with the building value. And then they'll add the two together. And that will give you a feel for mm. what that property should be worth. And then they'll triangulate that. They'll say, okay, what did we think it would let for? And they'll work out based on the letting um, value and then also bring in what would a landlord yield want to be in this in this area? Would, it want, would he want to be looking for a 3% yield or a 5% or whatever, yeah. which will depend on the economy and so on? They'll do a lot of work on that and they'll come up with a value. And then they'll look at the two together and – figure out whether there seems to be any sort of mitigating factors that should be taken into account. And you'll get a figure 
that where a procedure has been carried out, and that will make you feel at least somewhat comfortable that, you know, if you need to then resell or if this is a question of oh, should I buy this one or should I buy that one, then you, you've got something there behind you, haven't you, to make your decision. That's the Absolutely. kind of objectivity I've always felt that is missing or has been missing in these player transactions. So it's amazing, isn't it, really, considering the amount of money that's being paid now. And and do you think maybe that's played into the inflation of of transfer fees is the fact that clubs have the money, so they just spend the money. You know, there's not actually a an like you say, an objective valuation. It's just, well, we've got 25 million. So should we offer 20? It's Not it's a good question. It's a good question. I, I've genuinely been involved in, in transactions where I don't really know where the number came from. And if you think about it, okay, so you've got who, who where might this number come from? You've got the player, okay? Mm-hmm. The player has certain demands. Yeah. You've got the player's agent who will have certain demands. Mm-hmm. You've got the selling club who will have certain demands. I think it's fair to say none of those three are particularly objective. You know, they have what you might call a dog in the fight, don't they? (laughs) You know, absolutely. So let's be honest. um, If I was a football club or I was writing the checkout, I'd want a little bit more than, well, you know, the player wants this or the agent reckons he should be paid that or the Mm -hmm. club want this or. Now, I think the important thing, this is, it's somewhat subtle. The important thing is, we don't this isn't a precise procedure mm-hmm. this isn't what we're going to recommend shortly we're not saying look there's a there's a way to establish exactly what a player should be paid exactly what you should pay for them and you can acquire them for those figures i mean i'll tell you i worked i did some work for a football club owner mm-hmm. um a, little, a few years ago who wanted me to look at various players and come back and report on the players and on the values. And one in particular player, who I shouldn't mention, but I was I reported back on the value and I felt there were some, well, you might call them negatives, but there were certain some factors that should be taken into account. And the owner wanted to sign the player. And my kind of, my feedback wasn't particularly consistent with his requirement, although he'd asked me to go and do this. So he said to me, well, look, you know, you're saying he's worth this and you're saying the wages should be this objectively, um, but we couldn't get him for that. We'd have to pay more. And I said, well, that's fine. You know, there's nothing to stop you paying more. But if I were, you know, if I were buying a a car with a certain spec and a certain number of miles on the clock and a certain condition and so on, and there was only one of those available, I might still decide to buy that. But I'd like to know the premium that I was paying if I had to pay a premium to get it. I'd like to know what it was compared Mm to, you know, some objective value. So this was this this is valuable in the sense that it gives you some reference points as a football club. Mm -hmm. And we'll see actually how actually how that that really comes into play but so what we're trying to do here we're not saying we can be the masters of the market and we can tell clubs what they're going to accept and players what they're going to accept but it's really kind of nice to know that well this is what we think the player 
wages should be and this is what we think his value is and if we have to pay more than that then at least we know the degree to which we think we're paying over the top yeah absolutely so that's kind of yeah rather than so it's turning it a little bit more into like having having a manual where like you said with all the different models and makes of cars and the year and the miles and all that sort of stuff you've you've got a reference point there you may want to pay more you may want to pay less when you actually see it in in the flesh same thing for the housing market as well you can look and you can have a look at all the other houses in the area of of similar conditions and and what have you with players if if no one's ever established that then every reference point is just an artificial sort of point in nothing isn't it it's just a a point in the ether that's actually substantiated and, and built on the foundation of nothing isn't it it's interesting you know the process of negotiation anybody you've done any negotiation and thought about it carefully might be aware of something we talked about i think in the last episode or recently anyway these um cognitive biases where you and if you if you haven't and you're interested if you go back i think to the last episode i think we did talk about them in episode 12 um but one of the the cognitive biases these behavioral heuristics that human beings mental shortcuts that we use is something called anchoring and with anchoring a number that is first introduced into a conversation or into a negotiation takes on more substance than it's really necessarily worthy of mm. so if i'm the if i'm saying to you well i'd like you to come work for me tom and uh you know i know we're going to have to talk about wages and so on now here's the thing i'll pay you 50 grand a year now you're in your mind the anchoring bias is such that you feel that it's your job to get as much as you can above 50 grand sure right now if you come to me and say look i'd like to work for you um but you know i'm not going to be cheap and i'm i'm going to be 150 grand a year mm-hmm. then my job is going to be trying to in my mind I'll feel that I'm doing well if I'm knocking you down from 150 just because of the first number that's mentioned. Yeah. And it, and it, you can read about this. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a real, it? it's a real issue. So yeah. if you're going into a negotiation, if you take nothing else from this episode, maybe you should take away that it's a good idea to be the first one to come up with a number. And one reason it's a good idea is because human beings don't like really doing that. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable to be the yeah. one who says, right, I want this. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why many people would like to be good negotiators, but it's just not a comfortable thing to do. You'd much rather go, well, how much are you going to give me then? And then try and, but yeah. th- that will work against you. Uh-huh. So why did I say this? Um, yeah. So to pick up on your point, the number that gets used, it's going to be, it's going to come from somebody who's got an agenda. It's going to either come from the club if they're, we're talking about the selling price, yeah, or it's going to come from the player, or it's going to come from the player's agent if we're talking about wages, and it 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 takes on an importance beyond that that it's really worthy of. So this this is a an interesting part of the process. Now, if you're a club, we're going to be recommending this. So the next thing we want to say is. 
as per the last step and the one before that, we have a tool that we use, a bespoke wage and valuation, uh, wage and, and asset valuation model that we use to say, if you give me the factors that have influenced players' wages and players' values about this player, mm-hmm. and we'll feed it into the model. And as long as we've configured the model, and this is an important part, to represent the club's specific requirements and specific uh, preferences, then it's going to spit out numbers that the club will say, yeah, we would agree with that. They, they sound like objective numbers to us for this player, for us as a football club. Yep. Now, that's quite a big claim. Mm. And I should, not easy. you know, I should explain that. It's not easy. But the way it works is whenever you create these kinds of models, what you're trying to do is you're trying to have a computer run an algorithm that is as close as possible to the real life um, example that you're trying to model. So unless you understand what that real life example is, it's it's not possible to create it. But if you do, and you say in this case, well, how would a football club or a, or an agent really, what, what factors would go into establishing an objective value for a footballer? There will be some some things that would be very very important and some things that would be would have some importance and other things would have none um and i think in in our algorithm there's about 15 different inputs major inputs where you're talking about things like for example the age of the player the um the the international status of the player in other words how high they've played what height the highest level they've played the current performance um, of the player, uh, form of the player, if you like, the injury status, the disciplinary status, maybe the nationality, the leagues that they're playing in currently. There's a number of different factors that would go together to say they would have an impact on trying to figure out what a player's wages should be and what their asset value should be. Now, that's fine. And that's how the algorithm works. It takes those inputs. But the sort of subtle and but really, really vital part is that there isn't one value for a footballer. There's as many different values as there are people using the algorithm because if you're a football club, you're going to have your own views on those things that are more or less important to you as a football club. I'll just give a simple example of that. Yeah. some clubs will be saying the you know a major part of our business model and it's going to be part of everybody's business model but a really really major maybe the driving element is that we want to buy players who we can develop into more valuable players and we can sell on for capital gains some so, come to mind with that right good, good players, point yeah. now um in that case a high premium will be put on youth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, players of 21, 22, 23, up to a certain level will be favoured over and above players of 28, 29, 30. Gotcha. Because they'll have more potential to deliver Mm -hmm. value and so on. Um, Other clubs may have 
And this can change from time to time too. So depending on your situation, you may have a, a real need and a real desire to acquire players of with experience. Mm. And, you know, it's the old thing. You can't really shortcut that. There aren't going to be many 21-year-old players who've played 300 games at your mm. level or at the level that you think is necessary. Yeah. So if you're looking for a player who's going to, or players who are going to slide into a team at your level and have demonstrated their um you know their strength and their 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 accomplishments at that level then you'll be looking for older players but you'll be putting a premium on their experience so that's just one area where you might yeah. say well the age could be more or less important to two different teams and there'll be other lots of other areas where you know team a will say yeah this is really high on their list or this is kind of halfway or this is low and another team b will say something slightly different so that means you can't get a figure or a sensible figures out of of the model until you've configured it to represent your particular requirement so then that begs the question well how do you do that and a good way of doing that is to start with your own squad so you say well we've got 25 or 30 players or so on whatever in our squad and we know a lot about those players. So we know if we're really pushed into it, and maybe we've done this exercise and probably we should have if we haven't, we know the objective wage numbers for all of our squad and the objective market values. It doesn't necessarily mean, of course, that we're paying all the players what we think they're worth. Some of them we may be paying more. And that happens, for example, where... A team has relatively recently been relegated and a lot of their players are on historically high salaries and, con and expensive contracts that although they might have been, um, you know, subject to modifications on relegation, probably not to the degree they should have been, which happens all the time. Yeah. Um, so there'll be some players potentially there who are on sort of historically expensive contracts. There'll be others that have come up through the ranks They've only just really started demonstrating their value and maybe it's taken everybody a bit by surprise and they're on a wage that really reflects perhaps last season or even before, but they might have a year or two years to go. So, you know, you get this, but what you yeah. do is you sit down and you go through the squad and you say, okay, what's our opinion of the objective value of wage value and market value of each of our players? And, Assuming that you've used some sort of consistent logic when you do that, and that's an assumption that you should make because that's the whole point of doing it, yeah. then you it should start to explain to you when, you when you then enter those players into the model, you can see how you need to adjust the algorithm so that it plays back to you the numbers that you feel are correct for you. So you're kind of reverse engineering the process. Yeah. You're saying, you know, here's our squad. We'll put it in. I mean, when it comes out of the box, it might be giving you all sorts of fanciful numbers because who knows how you should how you should configure it. Um, but once you've configured it to to represent those things that you think are important, and I always use the analogy of the twins. You know, you've got twin right back and left back. One of them plays for you, yeah, and his twin brother plays for somebody else of the same level as you, and 
everything about these guys is the same. Obviously, the age, mm-hmm. everything about them, the le- the number of games they've played, the performance they've achieved, every single thing you could think of, the injury record, the disciplinary record, happens to be, and I know it's fanciful, but just to make the point, happens to be identical. So you've valued your the one who plays for you, and the one who doesn't play for you comes up for purchase. I can't think of a logical reason why you would think it was reasonable to pay more for yeah. the new acquisition than you're paying your existing one. Now, of course, mm-hmm. if you feel as though you're underpaying the one who's there, sure. you know the problem you're going to have in that case, of course, is that they're going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to know. <laughs> they're going to they're going to know, and they're going to talk. And and you're if get clubs a call think, from the agent. <laughs> well, if clubs think players don't talk, then you know they're they're yeah. They're living in cloud cookie land because they do. <laughs> but, but you know, it, the idea of that is that, you know, if everything is the same about two players, then why, why, how could you argue that the value should be different? Now, they might be, and that's an area that you've got to get round because, mm. you know, it may be that you say, head coach says, well, look, I really need him because. Uh, he's the he's the last piece in the jigsaw, and if we can get him, then what he brings to the club is greater than as a as a as an increase of of the value of the whole is greater than we'll be paying him. So yeah, I mean, but you get to have those conversations on a logical foundation, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. Rather than just well, you know, he says he wants that, and if we don't give him it, someone else will. And yeah, the last you know, right back went for twelve million, so. Yeah. We'll just go with that, shall we? And yeah. So, I, I mean, this is the point being with all this. Sometimes you go and look at a house and the surveyor says, well, you know, I know you want to buy it and you've made your mortgage application and, and the valuer says it's not worth what you're paying for it, mm-hmm. but you still want to buy it. Yeah. Well, as long as you can afford to do that, yeah. then you're still a- able to do it, aren't you? But it's kind of nice to know that <laughs> somebody's looked at it and on yeah, some yeah, logical exactly. basis, they've given you a, a steer, isn't it? Because you are you are able to, you know, the, the cost and the value can be different, can't they? Because the value could be different to someone else in a different situation. Um, I remember hearing a story about uh, a lady who was selling, selling a house and she didn't think she'd get the asking price for it, but she ended up getting 25000 pounds over the asking price because it had a cherry tree in the back garden and the couple uh-huh. buying it their uh mum uh their mum and dad used to have uh their mums and dads used to have uh, an orchard and they had cherry trees so it was just wow. a massive reminder of of their life on the farm and and the orchard so yeah it's it is that thing isn't it it's like you know what the cost is and you know what the price is but the value can be very very different and but like yeah. you say, at least you've got somewhere to anchor yourself on. Exactly. It's not just based on emotion. You've actually gone through and done a due diligence, easy for me to say, um, and then you've come up with, well, because of the way we play, because of the, the what the coach wants, because of what the squad is, you know, where we are and what we put a value on, this is this is what we think we're going we're gonna to pay for them. And if you can get them for it, great. If you can't, then maybe they're not the one for you. You move on to the next one. Maybe not, or maybe at least, as you say, you're, you've you've uh, you've used the right word. You have anchored, yeah. You know, and that and that's the right word to use because it, it, that's where you should be aiming, at least. Mm. Or 
you know, you might need to go back to the drawing board and say, well, actually, you know, what we've found is that in the market, we can't buy these players for yeah. what we think our players are worth. So maybe we've undervalued our players. Sure. You know, but it gives you a nice little kind of tie-in when you can say, well, you know, we know a lot about our players and they're good ones to use, aren't they? Hmm. Because they are a good – our objective values for our squad is a good indicator of of what's relevant and appropriate for our football club. Hmm. And it gives us a good place to start and a good and, – and to have them a model that you're capable of uh, – she's malleable, where you're you're able to – configure it i think it not ties in nicely and then you sort of you've got some as you say some sort of basis to produce anchors from yeah so that's kind of really that's where the acquisition that's where that's a an overview of the the financial element of this step and it kind of leads you on to thinking about well I mentioned about the due diligence, which was the other part this of this. Is, this the is other a really element. interesting part for me, and and I think this is probably one of the biggest advantages you get from having a a process and a system like this. Right. Well, I, I, good. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I th- and I think, you know, if as I say, if you if you have this process, then it should, if it's coherent, you know. The clues in the name, isn't it? it? It should it fits together, and it, and and everything strengthens everything else. But it leads us on to, okay, well, we've we've a, we've we've taken these um, acquisition targets from the scouting process, and we've established what we think the objective valuations are. And if we can do this early in the piece, then. It gives you time. The reason why clubs, I said to you, I think the reason why they skimp on the due diligence isn't because they didn't think of it or they don't think it's important, probably. I think clubs now do think it's important, whereas maybe not very many years ago, they they didn't, they questioned it. But I think they really do realise it. But it, there's one thing that's your enemy in, in transfer negotiations, and it's time. It's always time. So because people can put pressure on you and, you know, we know what it's like. And, and when there's an urgency involved, you do, you make all, that's when you make all your mistakes. So do you think that urgency is greater now that we've got set transfer windows? Um, I'm get, I'm sure it is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm mm-hmm. sure it is. And, you know, it's no doubt about that really, Tom. You know, we've got with people after there's there are actually arbitrary deadlines, aren't there now? Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of a rule in in sales, isn't it? Is to if you don't have a deadline for a deal, people probably won't purchase it. Because exactly. they'll think, oh well, I'll I'll come back and do that another time. And it and it could be for a player, it's like, well, we really want that player, but oh, well, we'll just keep We'll keep looking. No, we'll see. Yeah. We'll have a look and see what's around. But yeah. when you've got a month to get everything done, yeah, a month isn't really a very long time, is it? You know, you'd hope to be way ahead no. of yourself. Well, exactly. And 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 the point is, if you've got a process and you're able to do this work, it leaves you more time, so you can spend more time on the due diligence because you should be working. And I know 
you know, people are going to say, oh, yeah, but what about when this happens and what about that? And life happens to you and football happens to you. But really, you should be aiming to be working two or three windows in advance. You know, shouldn't be working. It shouldn't be all about the last three days of the transfer window, should it? It should be about, look, we've identified players early. We've carried out the evaluation uh, stages, which take time if you're going to do them properly. And we've now started on the acquisition phase and we've got a feel for what we think the values should be and could be. But the one thing that we haven't really done is said, if we were successful, to what degree do we think the player is likely to be able to continue to deliver what he's delivered up to now? And that's where you have to get, these are intangibles, these are harder, they take longer, you have to be more innovative and creative. And there are things you can do, you know, looking at the lifestyle of the player is a lot easier now with social media, for example, and online information than it, it used to be. But, you know, clubs will know you talk to people who have worked with the player, you know, you take an interest in the player's life over and above just their football career. And but and, and I always say this, that, you know, everything that we've done in the process, in the recruitment process, is designed to just speed, speed up um, or get ahead of the curve, if you like. So yeah. we're not running around in the last sort of 48 hours of the window going, does anybody know about whether he's been to prison? Does anybody know about? And, you know, (laughs) you'd laugh if you heard some of the things that, you know, that you hear when you're involved in it, that you think, goodness me, really? You're really looking to spend that amount of money? You don't know the answer to these questions. Um, But, you know, it's it's not been that easy to do. But I think, as I say, a big, big advantage in having a process and having a procedure is you get you get to the point where you go yeah this guy's for us we think mm-hmm. earlier so yeah. it leaves you where it might have been 3 days it's going to be 3 months for yeah. example or longer exactly. you know to do the to do the really and i'm a believer that that the the, the intangibles are at least as important as the sort of what you might consider the football tangibles are you know the, yeah, definitely I, I it's just, a team I just, sport isn't it you know it's a yeah. team sport you've the the sum of the parts you know aren't always what you think they are, are they you know sometimes no. you you can put together you know look at that old Real Madrid team the Galacticos and the world-class players there and they won very little you know got very little success relative to what you think they should have got yeah whereas um you have a Leicester City team that's got players who have been you know bought in on free transfers here there and everything but the chemistry of it was fantastic and they go and achieve something like winning the premier league so if you were to sit down and measure those intangibles i'm sure that every single player would would say it was the best time to be playing football it's the best team i played in because we were so together you know it was such a tight-knit group yeah and it's the it's those intangibles that bring it bring it together like that isn't it it is, yeah, and you know, and apart from the obvious ones that you know, we can all remember players that have done things that you'd say, well, I know the club wouldn't have signed them if they'd known about this. Yeah. But there are the the slightly less obvious things, as you say. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the, the the player's character like? 
you know, do they get on with teammates and how do they respond to setbacks and can they take advice? Can they take criticism? Yeah. You know, what what are their the real drivers there? Mm. You know, is it are they football related or are they sort of, well, look, once the worst thing you, managers have said to me, particularly one manager, but in over but I know I'm sure a lot of the managers would agree with him, that the last the worst thing that can happen often is player gets a really good contract because right. it just removes and it's not a it's not a um you know it's not a sinister thing really it's just mm. it's just it removes that that hunger yes you know where they're 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 driving up the this pyramid and then mm. they get to a point where they can do so many other things other than play football yeah. there's so many other temptations and and probably if they've reached the point where they're not probably going to go any higher financially, then suddenly it makes a big difference. You know, they get more interested in other things. Mm. And, and you know, it's a human, it's part of the human condition. Yeah. We're not criticising players here. We're just saying this is what happens to human beings. Um, but there are some players who, for whom the game is always more important than anything else. You know, so can you find those players? Can you find the players that will still be hanging around the club an hour and a half after training finishes? You know, and can you, as you say, can you get a group of players who want to be still around, you know, into into the afternoon? And because I think it all helps to sort of bring about that. You know, and it is intangible, but it's the that glue little, that that little, yeah, that the, the glue, everybody. that little bit of little bit of magic that that just you know sets everything off, isn't it? Yeah, and and you know, it's no different in football, is it, to any other walk no. of life, really? No, you, no, you, we've exactly. all seen it; everybody's seen it, where things just seem to go well because people are invested yeah. beyond just you know, well, what can I earn out of this? Or mm-hmm. you know, it's it's it, there's more to it. So oh, you absolutely. want you really want those. You really want to find out the answers to those things. And everything that we're talking about, you know, it leads you to leads you to that place, doesn't it? Especially if you've got three, two or three potential targets and you can't split them except for the intangibles. And all of a sudden sure. you see a huge difference. And you say, Well, on on the pitch and everything, they seem to be, you know, very, very level, but we think this person's going to fit the culture of our club, you know, better yeah. than the than, than the others, and that gives you that again that added confidence that you're spending your money in the right right area, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Well, it I'm do sure. Anyway. No, it, I'm sure it does, and I'm. Mm. I don't think anything we're saying would be a great surprise to a football club because no. you know they're on the receiving end of it. Yeah, but but and it's not that it's not so much that they don't know. That this stuff is important. It's just in the everyday chaotic and fast-paced um, world of football, mm. something get, has to give sometimes. Yeah. And what gives is usually the the stuff that is intangible, and it's a bit more, you know, it's a bit more abstract. You can't necessarily put your finger on it. And I, and although you know, in a funny way, you might say, well. All you've ever, all you've been talking about are the the objective benefits of having a a process, and then here we are at the end of it all saying that these how important these abstract things are. Mm. But it 
again, I, and I've said it a million times, but it gets you to the point where you can say, well, look, we've done what we can do in yeah. in the sense of evaluating the player, um, you know, from a sort of on-the-pitch perspective. But now at least we've got some time. Mm-hmm. In the end, you know, we talked about this before, what you're working towards with this process, steps one, two, and three, is building a dynamic target matrix where you've got three or to five players in each position mm-hmm. on the pitch constantly that you say, we've done the work on these players. They're not just ideas. They've come through the process. They were identified in step one. They were evaluated in step two. And that, and step three, we've done this acquisition work on them. Yeah. And they are the players that we would turn to in each of the positions, in each of the roles, if we were to sort of suddenly need to do that, as we know that you do in football. Mm-hmm. Um, and players will be dropping off and being added on to this this into this yeah. matrix for the various reasons. They'll got run it, they'll go out of form or they'll they'll transfer somewhere, they'll become too expensive, or you'll go off them or whatever. But you've always got that there. And once you've got that then again you you've got the time to because you're running this process and you know i i i don't think it might be a bit strange to say for every position you'd do it every day because it's a bit there wouldn't be much point because the numbers wouldn't change but you know you would be doing this constantly for yeah. each position mm-hmm. so you would get to the point where you've got this kind of it's like um it's a bit like a company's balance sheet, I guess, isn't it? Where it's a snapshot yeah. of as it stands today, mm-hmm. these are the players that we that we would go for. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing the whole time is you're just adding, you're just asking questions about each one of those players. You know, do we do we really? Is there any reason why we think the story might have changed on this player, on the pitch or off the pitch? Yeah, um, but you're constantly in the background running the process all the time. Absolutely, and I, I think the the thing I like about it is you always want to be ready, don't you? You always want to be proactive. And if if you work in a if you work in a building, you'll have a fire drill. So if the if there's a fire, you'll know what you need to do. I suppose the equivalent in a football club might be our centre forward has just had a season ending injury. What do we do? You know, have we got someone already within the building, within the squad, who we can then put in there? We've evaluated our squad, so we kind of know where the values are and we know what you know what they're good at, what they're not so good at. Is there anyone out there who can come in and be a good, appropriate replacement for them? And if there is one, we've already identified them because we've yeah. been rolling this process for you know however long. So you don't have to go back to and say, right, okay, he's injured. What do we do? Who who should we go for? And everyone, you know, brainstorm around the table and just throw out some good players' names. So that that for me, you should always be able to say, if this happens, what do we do? Absolutely. You know, what if? What if this? What if that? And I think if you can't answer that question, then you're leaving yourself open to probably being taken advantage of in the transfer market um, by someone, an agent saying, "Well, I know you need a centre forward because you've just lost yours." Hmm. So therefore he's not, or the club will say he's not 4 million anymore. He's 7 million 
Yeah. And the, the agent says, well, they really need a center forward. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to, this is our chance to get our big contract in here. Mm. So, yeah. um, so yeah, it, it just pays to be ready, doesn't it? It pays yeah, to be ahead absolutely. of the curve course. and know that, and know these players, um, have you got the person in the, in the squad already who can take over or if not, who are the people we've been actively recruiting or actively looking at for the last sort of however many months or years? So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it just makes so much sense. Well, I think that's, you know, and that's, that's the point of it, isn't it? It's, um, mm. without sort of going over the same ground, but yeah, you, that's the point. The point is, and once you've got something, it takes time to put these things in place and it takes time to get from, not having a process to all the benefits of having it. Yeah. But once you're there, then it's relatively, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy. Nothing's easy, but it's relatively straightforward to keep it ticking over. Yeah. Um, but you have to put in that initial investment in time. I think um, without knowing everything that goes on in clubs, I mean, two two teams that we probably talked about in the very first episode who seem to have, put in place a system many years ago and have then improved that system over years and stuck with it and are now reaping the rewards of, of probably Brentford and, and Brighton. Would, would you say that's a fair fair assumption? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think they they the nature of those operations, mm-hmm. those two clubs, is it's such that they've they recognize the value of procedural approach to things mm-hmm. you know it doesn't mean there's not innovation it doesn't mean there's not creation and abstract mm-hmm. thought and all those other yeah. things but it's within the context of mm. you know the process and it's going to yeah. have a framework isn't it that it's yeah. working from so it's got a foundation yeah. somewhere otherwise it's it's objective isn't it and, it, yeah. and it, they're using they're using um objectivity in their in their evaluations mm-hmm. and um yeah they so absolutely it's so all sort the, of yeah. feeding you want you want it to be feeding back all the time don't you you want every and every step of the process that we've gone through all three steps and then the micro steps within that all have a chance to feed back and you know report back and say well this this we did this how did that go you know your debrief process you know what did we want to happen what happened why did that happen? What do we need to do next time? Now that should always be the the questions that we ask ourselves as we go through, and and that will ultimately improve the process, won't it? Yeah, I mean, it's you did. I think again, we've talked about this quite a bit. Where mm. if if you've got a process and a system, you've got something that you can deconstruct mm-hmm. and break down into into smaller, simpler elements. Yeah, and you can evaluate those. The, the results of those elements can't you yeah. and rather than sort of ah, oh, our recruitment's been poor you know we need to do it differently we need to you can say well actually has it let's see where mm-hmm. where yeah. the problems seem to be coming let's let's look into some of the areas where we feel we've not done well mm-hmm. and let's look into some where we feel we have because you can learn something from you know why was this successful can't you yeah um there might be a, there might be some supporters of clubs out there that say do you know what we can never sign a decent right back you know <laughs> we always get terrible right backs you know i don't know what it is but you could use that couldn't you and go back and say well what is it we're looking for 
You know, how yeah. are we judging these these players and yeah. see if there's something in the system that needs to be uh, needs to be improved. Yeah, because we talked last week about, didn't we? I mean, we kind of like the idea of reverse engineering things. Mm. We talked about it just now, but we talked about it last week in relation to using an exemplar player and saying, That's rather right. than yeah. saying, well, look, here's here are some of the attributes that we we are seeking mm-hmm. and who's got those attributes. We can say, here's a player that we maybe is a player we've already got. We'd like to, but we need to replace, or maybe it's just a player that we've identified as being that would be our ideal player. Sure. We can subject them to the evaluation process and say, what does their profile look like, and which players have a similar profile, hmm. and then we can go from there, can't we? So yeah. we can, it's a it's a good way of doing things. And again, it's it's the only the only way you can do anything like that is if you do have. You know, at the risk of everybody going, oh, yeah. not again. But you know, is I'm if you've got a pro- if, yeah, you're going to get process. You've got to have a process, process, you know, yeah. and a, or a system. You've got to have it, and then you can do all this stuff, can't you? Definitely. So, um, yeah. No, so it's, it's good. That's uh, really that's um, we've just to sort of come back round to what you said at the beginning. We're going to use a version of this mm-hmm. of this process to try to identify, evaluate, and recommend um, perhaps some potential signings for the championship clubs. And we'll use a version because we're not in the club. We can't use all the specific, you know, precise elements. But we can still, I think, do a a decent job because we'll we'll do it objectively. We've got some good data there, haven't we? You know, we yeah. we understand what the playing style is for the team. Yeah, uh, we due to the 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 output from the players, we know what roles they're they're playing to a to a degree again, and and how successful they are in those roles uh, yeah. from the attacking side of it, for sure. Yeah. So um, so yeah, I think it'd be great, and it'll be good to see. Uh, I'll start scouring a few of the 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 news articles and things, seeing which clubs seem to be in for which type of players and. And we can have a look and say, well, this this bunch of players, we think these are attacking support. Mm. You know, A, do we think we need that? Do we think they need those? Mm. And B, which players, you know, seem to be uh, most appropriate for that uh, that club? And maybe those prospective targets will be in there. Maybe they won't. Yeah, because the sort of thing that happens. Hmm. Well, it will. And the sort of thing that happens or has happened certainly in the past, and I've been aware of this a lot, is you know, a, pl- a club gets offered a player mm-hmm. and and they view that opportunity as, well, is this a player that we think mm. we can get that maybe we didn't think we could? And yeah. But the thinking is very much of, is how good is this player rather than, is this, is this something we need? Because if we yeah. sign, you know, unless you're, unless, well, whoever you are with, with, you know, financial fair play, um, you can't sign everybody that you want to sign. So you, whoever you sign, it's going to have an impact on who you, who, who else you can sign or not sign, isn't it? So yeah. if we if we're offered this fantastic left winger, but we've already got two, but he's brilliant, we can't turn him down, we can't resist it. Mm. It might mean that we can't sign a you know defensive midfielder that we need more because yeah. we have only we haven't got any, and th- this kind of thing goes on, and that's where you get 
partly where you get your unbalanced squad problem from. Sure. No, anyway, I think that'd be yeah. that'd be really interesting. I, I think that's um, I think there'll be a lot of people out there will, will enjoy that because it will start a lot of conversations. Because hopefully, some people will say, "Oh, yeah, that sounds great. You know, this this player would be fantastic," and maybe we'll say, "Well, we don't quite agree," and then we can get a little bit of abuse from them, and we can <laughs> hopefully uh, yeah. fight our corner yeah. <laughs> from an objective standpoint. Yeah, and um, and see, yeah, see what the what the rumor mill throws up. I suppose. Yeah. For sure. Nice one. Okay, mate. Good. Well, thank you for that. I right. found that really interesting. Really, really good. Good. But yeah, that's the end of episode 13 of the Attacking the Championship podcast. 14 will be next week, of course. But thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week to attack the championship. Cheers, Ed. <laughs> <laughs>